Good morning. Today I'd uh, like to talk to you about four opportunities for men. These four opportunities for men will make your life happier, they will make your life more productive, and they will impact the the world for Christ more than any other opportunities generally available today. They are embrace a worldview that explains death and suffering. Build a family that cares. Contribute to a community that cares. Excel in work that matters. Today, uh, Father's Day is a relatively recent holiday in the U.S. It was permanently established in 1972. Any of those Father's Days before that were just artificial. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's when the law was passed. After years of promotion by individuals for various reasons, and by the New York Associated Menswear Retailers as a commercial promotion. Personally, I'd rather talk to you about something more, something that actually inspires me greatly. Today, I'd like to focus our thoughts on the biblical concept of fatherhood. God is called our father because he created all men everywhere. All men are called to be like him, to worship him, to be conformed to his image. All men are called, excuse me, so so all men may not be fathers literally. I will be addressing all men because all men are called to be fathers spiritually. This is the calling of, uh, of all men. And women and children are also invited to listen in. They may find some things that apply to them as well. So today, let's go on to embracing a worldview that explains death and suffering, building a family that cares, contributing to a community that cares, and excelling in work that matters. So in in embracing a worldview that explains death and suffering, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 12, 7 through 11. Hebrews chapter 12, 7 through 11. I'll read that to you. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and lived? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There's quite a number of passages in the scriptures that we could go to um, that talk about uh, death and suffering. And help us to understand uh, why that exists and how God is at work in it. This, I think, is one of the, the uh, premier passages on that, especially verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And God has chosen to use pain to change us into his image. Um, 
Those of you that have children, um, have you ever seen a child do something that could potentially have been dangerous? <laughs> have you ever seen a child that didn't eventually do that? What were you willing to do to get through to that child on those potentially dangerous things? For instance, have you ever been with your child on, on a busy street and uh, they didn't want to hold your hand? Did you hold their hand anyway? I certainly hope so. Did they say, Daddy, you're hurting me? And you say, tough noogies, son, I'm holding on to you. And that was not because you hated your son, was it? That was because you loved him and wanted him to survive that day. Um, and that's that's the uh, the key to this whole thing here. And you can say it very shortly like that. It's really a much bigger topic. And especially when we get into those areas that really hurt. And then it becomes much harder to understand. But that's the uh, that's the essence of it. One thing to understand is that this is the key to all the modern sins. Um, what are our modern sins? Um, drugs, pornography, immorality, drunkenness, materialism. Um, you know, some of the, the issues uh, that the world used to be beset with, we don't really have anymore. Um, hunger is not the issue that it once was. I'm not saying there aren't people that are hungry out there. I'm saying it's nothing compared to what it used to be. Um, there's tremendous opportunities in our world. And I'm not saying there are people that don't have opportunities, but they're much greater than they used to be. Uh, disease is... Um, we are in so much better shape. Um, and a lot of people don't realize the revolution that has taken place in treating cancer these days. And it comes out of the Human Genome Project. They're actually figuring out what goes wrong in the cells. And the, there are so many new medications coming out that target specific chemical pathways that they can't find enough people to run the tests on. Now, well, how about that for a problem? We got more cures than we got people to test them on. The, the, our, our world has changed in such dramatic ways. But we still have significant and serious problems, these modern sins. What are these modern sins? Why in the world would people inject poison into their bloodstream? Why would they, you know, why do people go and do these things? And they all boil down to an attempt to deal with the pain and suffering, the death and suffering that goes with life today. And as much progress as mankind has made on this planet, and it has been tremendous progress, death and suffering are still with us. And uh, it looks like they'll still be here for quite a while. And the way that we try to deal, it, if we deal with those things if we don't turn to Christ is with escapism. And we escape into all kinds of different things. And that's what all the modern sins are. Um... They don't actually deal with the problems. They just enable us to not pay attention to them for a while. And then they come back. And we are just utterly defeated. But Christ does 
have a worldview that explains death and suffering. And it is that he is changing us into his likeness. He is actually transforming us from the inside out. Is it any wonder that that would involve some pain? Not really, but we still don't like it. So the explanation for death and suffering is that God has a purpose in them that is worth the cost and that he proves it by taking this cost upon himself. So people, and then this is one thing we need to understand. That when Jesus took our sin on him on the cross, he didn't take the penalty for a couple of little things here and there. He took the whole shemongle. And he paid the penalty for it all. In other words, this is what it boils down to. You think you've got pain? Basically, God is willing to take the bullet for you so that you don't have to spend eternity away from him. Now, how can you complain about the little bit of pain that you're enduring? And that's the, that's the basic answer here is that this issue of death and suffering is the gospel in a nutshell. That Jesus took all of that on himself so that we wouldn't have to. On the cross, he paid the penalty and defeated sin and death. And when people are in pain, just saying that really doesn't help. And I understand that. I get that. In addition to knowing these truths, we have to enter into their pain with them. As Paul says, we have to weep with those who weep. But this gospel of Christ is the only explanation for death and suffering that makes sense and that is true. So in speaking directly to the men here, men, you must master this issue. It cannot be something that you say, Gee, I don't know. That's too hard for me. This is a real issue that people have, and they need real answers. If you are going to lead your families, if you're going to lead people spiritually, if you are going to be a man of God, you must embrace this issue. I got it right up there. Embrace a worldview that explains death and suffering. And you're going to have to be effective in dealing with it. I'm not saying that you're going to be able to explain everything about God and the way he has done things. But you've got to be able to explain what God has done and why he's done it. We cannot dodge this one. This is the essence. You must study the scriptures until you're convinced that you know God's explanation for death and suffering. That's and <laughs> that's the easy part. Let me give you the hard part. You must learn to enter into pain with people. Now, I don't know about you. I do not enjoy pain. Anybody here enjoy pain? <laughs> no. And to willingly go to someone else's in pain and subject myself to that same pain. Um, gee, can't I go to the dentist and have a few root canals? <laughs> I mean, really, wouldn't you rather? I mean, to just voluntarily take another person's pain on. Now, that is not pleasant, but it may help you to realize that entering into others' pain is actually sharing 
in the sufferings of Christ. Paul talked about how he learned to share in the sufferings of Christ. And one of the things that the privilege that God gives us in order to help us understand how much he did for us, he lets other people suffer so that we can enter into that pain and learn what it really means. We understand by that what God truly did for us. And knowing how much it cost Christ, really, how could you not enter into others' pain when Jesus entered into all of yours? How could you not? So, uh, children. I have something here to say about children and two children. Children have to face this issue sooner than we are ready for them to. All parents want their kids to grow in maturity and all that sort of thing. But in terms of remembering those lovely little bundles of joy, they, they want them to stay that age forever, right? <clears throat> but children grow up, and that's a good thing. And the age at which children begin to wrestle with this question, and by most children come to an answer to this question. And it's far earlier than you know. But this is the result of actual surveys where they sit down and ask people later in life, where did you come to your worldview on this? And the overall, the consistent answer is middle school. All right? That's six through eight, right? So six plus five is 11. Okay, you got to get to this before they reach 11. Really, where you need to start is upper elementary. And, and you need to bring it up with them, and you need to talk about it. If you have not talked to them about this problem of pain by middle school, you're close to losing them completely. <clears throat> the problem of pain is far more important than the sex talk. Right? Everybody avoids the sex talk. This one is even worse than that. It's more significant in terms of uh, the eternal destiny. I know of no issue more significant to this one. So children, when you have questions, ask your... Here's how to handle it. You have this question and you're not sure how your folks are going to receive it. So what you do is you say, Mom, Dad... I have a question. Is now a good time? And if they say no, they then just say, when would be a better time to bring up my question? And then whatever time they say, you remember that and you go back to them with the question and you keep answering it until they, you keep asking it until finally they answer it. How old was Jesus when he stumped the teachers at the temple? Twelve, right? Children of 12 are perfectly capable of understanding adult issues and dealing with them. They may not be adults yet. God lets them begin to understand those things before they have to actually deal with them. So kids, make sure your parents answer the questions. And if they don't answer them, you can come see the elders. And if the elders don't help you, you can come see me. And I don't know what else you can do after that.
So this has just been a short introduction to this topic. To really understand it requires far more. But I want to tell you one thing. This may be the greatest opportunity for men in our age. It's the most significant thing that people in our age have not got figured out. The world has no good answer for this. So many other things they have good answers for. But this, they don't have an answer. And men, this is the place to step up, step, step up and say, well, let me talk to you about an answer. So embrace a worldview that explains death and suffering. Second, build a family that cares. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So as Bonnie and I counsel couples in their marriage, and that happens a lot, one of the things that always comes up is, well, but my spouse doesn't do this, or my spouse does that. And it's a real problem. And I just feel like, have you have not read your Bible? You're, you're the one that's responsible for loving your wife as Christ loved the church and presenting her holy and without blemish. Without blemish. So what you're telling me is, man, you haven't done your job. Uh, anyway, that's funnier to me than it is to them. Don't seek us. Now, this, this is, I'm starting at the beginning here, you, for, those, for those of you that aren't yet married. Don't seek a spouse that loves you and meets your needs. That is the message of the world, isn't it? Find someone that is just head over heels about you and meets your every needs. Makes you feel like a queen or a king and all that sort of thing. <clears throat> what is wrong with that whole concept? <laughs> What's wrong with that whole concept is that there ain't no such a thing as a spouse that loves you um, and meets all of your needs. None of us is able to do that. We are all broken people. And you will inevitably dis be disappointed. This is really the foundation of the terrible brokenness of marriage in our age. Is that people are looking to marriage to make them happy. And I'm not saying you can't really enjoy marriage. <laughs> Bonnie and I have a wonderful marriage. And many times we really enjoy each other. Most of the time. Instead of seeking a spouse that loves you and meets your needs, seeks a spouse that loves Jesus and whom you can love. Because there are going to be times when you are really unlovely. And what you want is someone that loves you because Jesus has told them to. And that's the thing that will get you through. Sometimes even Christians are counsel, even Christians counsel that finding a compatible person to marry, um, someone as much like you as possible, is the wisest way to go. The idea is that this will reduce conflict in marriage because both of you want all the same things. And what I'm telling you is that ultimately that's going to fail. And the reason is, is that everyone here, me included, Absolutely. Everyone here is a self-centered sinner. Now, 
anybody that is not really willing to admit that and married and is married, I'd like to talk to your spouse. We'll get some evidence and come back and help you. <laughs> Everyone here is a self-centered sinner. That self-focus is the root of all of our conflicts. It's not whether or not we have uh, similar interests. It's th that self-focus. And none of us at root are compatible. Instead, in Christ, we can become like him and reflect his glory to a broken world. A family that cares is a key to happiness in life for everyone. But it actually impact, impacts men more than women. You know, the popular thing in culture is, is that uh, women want marriage and men just want sex, you know? So forget this family thing for men, right? The fact is that married men, whether they are in a happy marriage or not, live longer than single men. Amazing, isn't it? Now, the statistics have been well known for years. And it, it, it doesn't add a day or two to life. It adds, in many cases, adds, well, in all cases, adds years. In some cases, can add a decade. Um, and there's a, a number of other statistics. I didn't bother to look them up this time. But men in good marriages live longer and have fewer issues in almost every area of life than men in bad marriages or unmarried. So a family that cares, men, it's a survival skill. <laughs> you know, you think you're tough with survival. Okay, how's your family? Yeah, not so good. Okay, let's. we need to work on this. The real problem is not what are you going to do when the grizzly comes calling. The real problem is when you turn into a grizzly and you come calling. But families that care are also a key factor in world evangelism. In the coming years, a family that cares will become less and less common. Now, why can I make this prophecy? It's because... <laughs> Because time goes on. And if you go and see what's happening with little kids, in 20 years you're going to be seeing what happens to people in their 20s. Right? <clears throat> so, demographically, most children still come from intact families. But, and this is the sad thing, most younger children come from broken families. And that's already happened. That means within 20 years or so, children will be growing up in broken families. Building a family that cares not only benefits us today, but is also tremendously attractive to a broken world around us. What that means is people are going to be growing up not having had that need met in their life that a good family really, really gives them. It leaves a tremendous hole. And in terms of helping people come to Christ, this is a humongous opportunity to welcome them in, to include them in a family. Isn't it amazing? You know, who would ever have thought that God, as he was building his church, calls it a family? Doesn't he? Brothers and sisters. So just being ourselves, God is positioning us to meet this tremendous need. And it actually creates an opportunity uh, for world evangelism. What should you do if you come from a broken family? 
Well, that's a, that's a challenge, isn't it? But let me tell you what to do. Reach out to those around you and build caring relationships. Intentionally work to make the body of Christ your family that cares. In other words, just because you come from a broken family or have brokenness in your family doesn't mean that there's nothing you can do. You can reach out. You can build those kind of relationships. And you can allow God to meet that need that way. So embrace a worldview that explains death and suffering. Tremendous opportunity there. Building a family that cares. That is a uh, is one of the key man skills in life. A lot of people think fixing a car is a key man skill. Actually, family family that cares is a better skill. And then third, contribute to a community that cares. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us, to consider, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. <clears throat> so what, we, what God has made us for is to be part of a community where we stir one another up to love and good works and encouraging each other. We all need that. And particularly, we don't necessarily need relationships with a hundred people like this. But we do need really close relationships with two or three or four that are like this. Where, where we are encouraging each other. Where the, the relationship is really authentic. Where we know each other well. Um, a lot of people point to... Um, uh, ancient times, and they talk about how the um, the village was the ideal, where you lived in a town that, or a place that, that had less than 100 people, and you knew everybody there, and you knew all that was going on. Um, you know, and there's a lot to be said for that. Um, it's, it's not actually the, uh, it's not a cure-all for everything. The big thing that has happened in our modern age that's different than that is that we don't actually know anybody. Oh, we know the names of a lot of people. We recognize a lot of faces. But I'm talking about knowing what really happens in their lives. We don't know that. And so, and this is a, a topic that um, sociologists have been you know, signaling the warning signal for years and years. Isolation and alienation. When, when people are isolated from one another, they start to feel suspicious of each other. And pretty soon, because they don't actually know the other people, they begin to dehumanize them in their mind. And all of a sudden, all kinds of crud happens. Uh, actually, what happens is hell breaks loose. That is really where it comes from, is the isolation and the not knowing of each other. This, you know, everybody's saying, how can crime be so crazy these days? Why is this happening? There's serial killers out there. Don't they realize they're hurting people? Actually, that's the problem. No, they don't. They don't even realize that other people are people because they don't know them. 
It's a, it's a, just a terrible tragedy. And the, we live in suburbia, and even if we don't live in suburbia, much the same thing happens. But in suburbia, we get done with work, and we go out to our reserve parking place and start our car and drive home. How many people do we talk to on the way home? How many people do we see that we know on, you know, the office we might know a couple of people, but not well, just acquaintances really. And we go down, we get in our car and we drive home and we press the button that opens our garage door. And then we drive in, we turn the car off and we press the button that closes the garage door. And then we go inside and we turn on the TV. How many authentic relationships does the average person have in an average day? This is a national tragedy. It's also a tremendous opportunity for the, 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 for the gospel. Our communities, in our communities, we don't know each other. And what has public discourse become? Public discourse has become mudslinging and name-calling. It's become acceptable in this country just to, you know, explode all over somebody you don't even know. And if you get on the Internet, let me tell you what, put your hard hat on. And this comes because we are not we don't actually know other people. It's not convenient to reach out to the neighbors and many times it can be scary But authentic love, good works, and encouragement will win enemies and make good friends of them. People need relationships. They might not even know it, but they really need them. Now, I'm an introvert, and I need more alone time than many, but I still need those relationships that bind me to the community. And without those relationships, I can feel it in myself. I start getting depressed. I start getting ornery. My inner child doesn't come out, except if it's the grumpy throwing a tantrum one. Now, what really comes out is my inner grizzly bear. Um, And so for me, one of the things that I've found is that I really need those relationships. Um, We've tried to reach out to our immediate neighbors. Um, sometimes it really works well. Uh, sometimes it doesn't work so well. But the benefits do outweigh the costs. I've had neighbors respond to, all over the spectrum, from very neighborly to very unneighborly. Life in the big city. I really weren't learned from one neighbor who talks a lot. Um, you know what I mean? You know that person that uh, there's actually no throttle on their mouth. <laughs> and I don't know how that happened. But the spring that pulls the accelerator shut, it's not connected. <laughs> and, um, you know, I realized that, um, that as, uh, as we try to relate to this neighbor, I end up finding myself feeling irritated. And you know what? It's because to converse with a person like this What you have to actually do is enter into their conversation and surf along with them. And and I really really don't like doing that. (laughs) I like, they say what they think, we both think about it, and then I respond by saying what I think, all very calm, cool, and collective. 
That's not how they work. They work by you kind of get into the conversation with them, start responding and going back and forth a little bit, and then just kind of jump in. Personally, I feel like I'm interrupting them. But actually, they don't respond that way. They respond like, oh, somebody wants to converse with me. And I think, okay. And you know who really has the problem here? If I'm trying to reach them for Christ, who's got the problem here? It's me. I'm not speaking their language. And the irritation that I'm feeling really should just be irritation with me. And I need to learn how to jump in and go ahead and do the right thing. I need to enter into their stream of words and just assert my words whether I feel welcome or not. And that's the price of the relationship in that case. So contribute to a community that cares. Embrace the worldview that explains death and suffering. Build a family that cares. Contribute to a community that cares. And finally, excel in work that matters. A couple of verses here. Whatever work you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That's Colossians 3, 23 and 24. And then Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it in a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. First, you must do work that matters. Find a job. Second, realize you are really working for the Lord. Third, work with excellence. If you do those things, then your work won't matter because it's done for Christ and he will never forget. Doing your work for yourself ultimately won't matter. Certainly it won't matter to others, but sadly it won't matter to yourself either. So we must do work that matters. And second, as we do our work well, you give glory to God and draw others to follow him as well. So in just the daily work that we do, as we do it for the Lord, then it brings him glory and ultimately can result in other people coming to know him. So in summary, I've talked about four things, four key applications for men in our day. We often see these things as tragedies happening in our world around them, around us. Actually, they are opportunities that God is giving us. And so as we embrace a worldview that explains death and suffering, build a family that cares, contribute to a community that cares and excel in work that matters, the men of this church can become world changers in everyday life. If, by doing these things, the men of this church are able to form one truly authentic relationship in the coming year, how many men will we have in this church? Twice as many, right? Let's pray. Father, you are our hope and our joy. You are the one who has gone before us and won us to yourself. 
Our hope and our confidence is in you. Father, we pray uh, that as we get involved in people, people's lives, as, uh, that you would work in us to make us men that honor and glorify you. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to win us to yourself. And we look to you in his name. Amen.